subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at tripods.com. Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. Oh, that's Sunday, January 25th, 2015. If you have ever wondered if your dog is in pain and what you can do about it, please join us in our live chat room now at tripods.com slash chat or get ready to call 646-716-5450 with your questions about pain management for pets. We are privileged to have the acclaimed veterinarian and author, Dr. Mike Petty, joining us today. Dr. Petty is an expert on veterinary pain management and founder of Arbor Point Veterinary Hospital in Michigan. He's a faculty member of the Canine Rehabilitation Institute, and he has served as president of the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management. We'll also be talking about his new book, Dr. Petty's Pet Pain, Dr. Petty's Pain Relief for Dogs, which is dedicated to helping you keep your dogs pain-free. Um, learn more about Dr. Petty and his upcoming, upcoming book at drpettyspainreliefforedogs.com. We have lots of questions, and we'll be taking your calls, so let's get started. Thank you for your time today, Dr. Petty. Um, thanks, Jim, and thanks, Renee. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor, and uh, I love every chance I have to spread the word on pain management in uh, animals. Well, we are so glad you're here, Dr. Petty. I mean, this is such an important topic to our members, and you know, just just having somebody with with your knowledge on our show is is really an honor for us. So, so thanks for making time today. We we certainly appreciate it. Um, I would uh, love it if you could just for for people who are unfamiliar with with you and your background, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your your path as a veterinarian and and how you became an expert in pain management for animals. Sure. Well, you know, when I was in high school, uh, I had a job at a veterinary clinic, and this is how a lot of veterinarians start their career is, is, you know, working as kennel help or cleanup help or something along that line. And this particular clinic I worked in in mid-Michigan, they were very, very astute about pain there. They, They used all the drugs available to them at the time for surgical pain, things like morphine and ketamine and local anesthetics, and they, they used uh, a lot of medication for chronic pain as well. And then when I went off to veterinary school and was in school, they, they almost never used any of those things. Um, now, this was back in the wow. 70s. Um, I graduated in 1980, and um, I, I was pretty much horrified about it. And there were all sorts of excuses given as to why, and we can talk more about that later. But when I got back out into practice, I have to admit, I kind of slipped into the ways that I was taught in the veterinary school. But but within a few years, I, I saw both of my parents die, and my mother died at 
a long, excruciating death. And I was at her side, and they refused to treat her. They didn't want to give her morphine. They thought it would interfere with this and with that. And really, it was that point I vowed, this will not happen to my patients. And uh, that's really what set the career. Wow, that's oh, that's a hard, hard situation. I'm, it's wonderful that you created something great out of something so, so traumatic. Oh my gosh. Um, Thanks. And and so you have. I mean, you you are are out there and you're you're actively educating vets about pain management for their patients and and getting the word out about how how important it is. But you know, my question is why why is it such a, a slowly evolving science? I mean, back in in 2006, when our dog Jerry had his leg amputated because of osteosarcoma, he was sent home with Rimadyl and Tramadol. And he had great pain management during the surgery itself, but when he came home, we were kind of, you know, left on our own. And um, I'm, I'm just wondering, in, in your opinion, why is it taking so long for, for vets to uh, acquire this, this information and, and give it to their patients? Um, in, in fairness to the veterinarians, it's really a matter of education, and it takes a very long time for um, veterinary schools to ramp up and teach this type of information. And, and even today, I would say the vast majority of pain management is learned after graduation through organizations like the International Veterinary Canopy of Pain Management. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they—they they, um, most veterinarians, given the opportunity, will do the right thing, but they don't understand it. They don't have time to learn it. You know, they're a business person. They're running a practice. It can be very hard and very sure. difficult to, to ramp up and do this. Even still, you know, everyone's trying. And there was a statistic mm-hmm. I saw about two years ago that showed that the average veterinary school has about twice the number of hours on pain management as the average human medical school. So we're, we're up wow. there and we're really trying. Wow, that's great. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. That's that's really, really promising. Um, you had mentioned that, that you graduated in 1980, and somewhere along the line I read that if a vet graduated from vet school before 1980, that they were taught that animals don't feel any pain. Is that true? Not exactly. They were. We were told okay. that animals don't perceive pain like we do, that they mm-hmm. see it as yet another thing happening in their life and something to be dealt with. Um, and I think maybe the more prevailing attitude at the time was um, pain was useful. Pain kept a post uh, mm-hmm. an animal that had surgery. It kept them quiet. Um, pain in an arthritic dog kept them from running around and hurting themselves. Oh. But we now know that that's not true. Um, if anyone mm-hmm. who has arthritis knows, the more you exercise, the better the joint feels. Um, anyone who's had surgery knows that the more pain medication you you have, the quicker you recover from the surgery. Back about that time in 1980, I don't have the exact date, they were uh, human uh, pediatric surgeons were doing open-heart surgery on newborn infants for a condition called a patent ductus arteriosus, and it's a, a fairly quick surgery, uh, you know, maybe mm-hmm. 45 minutes. But they were opening these babies' chests and uh, doing surgery with um, no pain meds. And the mortality oh rate was... Yes, it was horrifying. The mortality rate was over 50%, and 
And someone brave enough said, you know, let's just give them an injection of morphine before the surgery. And the mortality rate dropped down to below 10%. Wow. It just underlies the importance of proper pain management during a surgery. It, it just benefits everyone, including the people that are doing it. We, we don't want to see our patients wake up crying in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick, uh, you know, most of our, our membership is comprised of, of dogs, and um, we do have more and more cats joining us these days, which is wonderful. We have very little information about cats and um, amputation and, and life on three legs ourselves within the tripods community. So I'd, I'd like to add some information for our, our feline members. Can, can you just tell me really quickly, why is there so little information about cats and pain management and, and post-op care? Uh, that That is changing very quickly, too. Um, I have the honor to Good. have worked a lot with a veterinarian named Sheila Robertson, who is actually um, – just started uh, her uh, teaching over at Michigan State University, and she's an anesthesiologist. And she's been a real, real um, important person in uh, pain management in cats. I'm also one of the co-authors of the American Animal Hospital Association's um, pain guidelines that are coming out this year. In fact, I, I believe the published date is next or in March. And oh. a huge portion of this is dedicated to, to pain in cats, both acute and chronic. But one of the problems about cats is right. they don't handle drugs as well as dogs, and this is a real issue. And there's a constant mm-hmm. struggle to find drugs that are safe to use in cats, especially chronic long-term drugs. Short-term, we have it handled. You know, there's opioids, uh-huh. there's, there's all sorts of medications that we can use surgically. It's the arthritic cats that, that really... Um, we struggle with. And, you know, that's, I think, why a lot of people turn to things like acupuncture and rehabilitation, because those are non-drug ways of helping to manage pain in cats. And and you're an acupuncturist as as well, aren't you? Yes, I am. I, I thought so. So do you, do you do acupuncture on cats? Yes, and cats are great to do acupuncture on. They respond really, really well. Um, we usually don't have to do it as often as we do in dogs. Some cats, like some dogs, aren't tolerant of it. And mm-hmm. and my professor that I, I got, I learned acupuncture from, she, she called it, kiddingly, catapuncture because she said you can put in um, a set, certain number of needles, but there's one too many, and you don't know until you've put it in, and then things fall oh. apart. And and that's kind of true. Uh-huh. Um, they and cats are tolerant up to a point, and then then they're over it. But most of the cats that I have in my practice are very good about it. I think there's currently one that we have to give mild sedation for. Um, but even cats that won't tolerate vaccines will often tolerate acupuncture. They like it. Wow, that's really great to hear. We're going to have to write some some articles about that. Thank you for that information. Um, and, and speaking of articles, back in October of, of 2014, last year, um, you shared your tips about which pain protocols we should ask for prior to amputation surgery, um, such as asking for an epidural and a local block for a dog who's getting a, a rear limb amputation. Uh, my question to you is, how can we confidently approach our vets with this kind of information without sounding like we think Dr. Google knows more than they do? Um, I, you know, I, I know lots of people 
take printouts to their vets' offices and things, and not all vets are really keen on that. Um, what? How should we approach them when when we want to talk to them about you know pre-surgery and, and post-op pain management? I guess, first of all, every veterinarian should really be receptive and open to whatever someone brings to them, as long as the person that brings it to them is also receptive and open to listening to uh, an educated answer. Uh, If Mm -hmm. the answer is a denial or not wanting to consider it, then maybe it's time to find a different veterinarian. When... um, And and this this goes on in the the human world as well. Um, uh, Mm Mm-hmm. My my wife was getting a procedure done, and I asked what the pain protocol was going to be, and the anesthesiologist said, oh, we're going to give her um, Zevofluorine, which is just an anesthetic. And mm-hmm. he then went on, he asked, why do, why do you want to know? How do you know? Whatever. And I said, well, I'm a veterinarian. And he's like, oh, I tried. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I tried to get into veterinary school, um, but I, I couldn't make it. And I turned around and looked at my wife and said, great, your anesthesiologist is someone that was too stupid to get into vet school. And um, I had a different anesthesiologist for the procedure, and uh, and the person that, that replaced this one did a great job. So don't be afraid to stand up for your dog's rights, just like, like I stood up for my family's rights. Uh, it, it, in the end, if you hurt someone's feelings, but your dog or cat comes out better, it, it's a win situation to me. I couldn't agree more, and I think a lot of people out there are are really hesitant to talk to their vets about stuff like this because, you know, they don't want to hurt their feelings. They've been working with them for a long time. We see it over and over again where somebody's family vet says they'll do the amputation, but, you know, you can kind of tell that they're not using the latest pain management um, or surgical uh, equipment and and things like that, and I, I think a lot of people just don't want to offend them, but... Um, you know, I I put my dog first, not my vet's feelings. So you know, it's kind of hard. Right, but, exactly. But thank you. And honestly, once once my book comes out, that's a really good resource. It's going to be very readable for um, dog owners and um, just as accessible for veterinarians. And that might be a better source than Doctor Google um, saying, "Well, here in print, I here's Doctor Teddy more. says." Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to hear that a lot from different people around the country. Um, I, you know, I, I can't wait until your book comes out. We will definitely be promoting that and, and letting people know it's available because it is so sorely needed out there. Um, thank you for for putting that together. And and when is the publication date? Uh, January of 2016, and it's coming out by Countryman Press. And if uh, people want to get on my uh, book website, um, it, just look for Dr. Petty's Pain Relief for Dogs. Uh, you know, they can sign up for when the book comes out. I think there's a little link there that says, I want the book. And, and all it does is put you into an email. And when the book is published or about to be published, I'm going to um, send an email to everyone who asked to be notified that it's available. So Great. Great. Okay, and we'll be posting that link in our discussion forum and in the blog, too. So uh, we will definitely keep in touch there. Um, And speaking of of post-op and and surgical pain and that kind of thing, one of the biggest questions that we get in the forums is people want to know if when their dog comes home from surgery, if the dog is in pain when they're showing symptoms like pacing and whining and 
anxiousness, if that is a signal of pain or is that a side effect of the pain medication itself? How do you distinguish between the two? Because a lot of times you don't know if your dog needs more or less pain medication, and it's it's very confusing. How do you how do you weave through those symptoms and come up with a uh, helpful solution? If uh, it was um, a problem with the medication, then it's probably a problem the veterinarian would have seen at the clinic. So I'm going to say that the vast majority of these dogs that are home and pacing are having issues um, with pain, not with um, what you're describing. It's called dysphoria. And mm-hmm. but but it can be really hard to tell apart, and even I'm confused mm-hmm. sometimes. But there's a few tricks that we can do in the clinic. Uh, sometimes we will um, add a little of this like tiny microdose of this medication called dexmedetomidine, and it helps uh, get rid of dysphoria. And we've had dogs that are mm-hmm. pacing and whining and won't make eye contact. You give them this injection, and five minutes later, they're acting like a happy dog. Uh, sometimes wow. you have to reverse. Sometimes you have to reverse the opioid um, with a weaker opioid that's called butorphanol. And butorphanol is um, not an opioid that usually causes dysphoria. And it also reverses mm-hmm. stronger opioids like morphine or hydromorphone or fentanyl. And so once you reverse it, oftentimes these dogs will act better too. And if they don't, then this is a sign that the dog's in pain and additional steps need to be taken. For the pet owner at home, it's going to be really hard yeah. for you to tell. But if he comes home okay. like that, it's probably... Um, painful because the veterinarian should have done something to correct it before they left. But don't be afraid to ask. I mean, you can look at your dog, you can, um, you know, touch, um, gently protect yourself so you don't get bitten, but gently touch the incision site, uh, things like that. And if they turn around and react, then then he's painful. If he could care less, then maybe it's dysphoria. Okay. And and if the dog reacts and, and you know, is, is really cranky and does that require a trip to the clinic, or can we call our vets? And I mean, can the medication be adjusted, you know, just by over the phone, that kind of thing, or, or do we actually need to go in for that reversal? Uh, both, both. I mean, there there are okay. some things that can be tried at home. Um, sometimes, like for dogs only, you can never give a cat Tylenol, but Tylenol is safe to use in dogs, and sometimes you know, piggybacking one additional medication, wait an hour, see if it's better, things like that. Um, uh, you can uh, try to figure that out. But but never give Tylenol mm-hmm. unless you ask if you can because there's certain drugs it interacts mm-hmm. with, and the dosing is totally different than it is for people. So your your veterinarian would have to tell you exactly how much to give. Okay, that's good to know. I didn't know that about Tylenol. And somewhere along the line I heard aspirin was okay to give to dogs. Is that true? Um, you know, aspirin can be given to dogs, but aspirin has a very um, poor safety profile on dogs. And if your dog is okay. already on NSAIDs, um, like, you know, Rimadyl or um, Medicam or one of these others, and those are usually sent home post-surgically, giving aspirin on top of that uh, almost always mm-hmm. causes a gastric ulcer. And even if you do it for a few oh, days okay. in a row, it can actually perforate and require another surgery or, or even kill your dog. So... Aspirin is usually a bad idea. Yeah. 
Okay, we're going to remember that. Thank you. Um, let's let's talk about uh, something that that's also very common, and uh, we we see it in quite a few members. But I think a lot of us have a hard time distinguishing between true post-op phantom limb pain and the other types of pain that you discussed in the article you wrote for us. The two types of pain that you mentioned were high. I'm probably not going to say this right. Hyperalgesia and myofascial yeah. pain syndrome. Oh wow! Thanks. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, so tell me the difference because a lot of times, you know, dogs will come home and they'll be fine, and two days or even two weeks later, they'll start shrieking for no unexplained reason and completely freaking out their their parents. And so, I was just wondering if you could talk about those those types of of pain for our members. Sure. So phantom limb pain and, and hyperalgesia are both a type of pain called a neuropathic pain. And neuropathic pain is extremely hard to diagnose. Uh, in humans, it's diagnosed by self-reporting. In dogs, we have mm-hmm. to get clues that um, they're in pain. Uh, maybe a dog that responds much more strongly to a painful stimulus than you would expect or even responding to something like petting and acting like it's painful. That's that's hyperalgesia or neuropathic pain. Um, myofascial pain syndrome is a very, very interesting issue, and it's, it's a huge concern for um, amputees. And uh, to describe it, anyone who has worked at a computer for an hour or so and then say, I'm done, and they go to stand up, and you've got those that pain in the back of your neck and running down sometimes to your uh-huh. shoulders. That's that's actually myofascial pain, and these things called huh. trigger points develop. And you know, if you've got um, a really nice partner that will give you a massage for a minute, it, it generally goes away. This mm-hmm. happens because you're holding yourself in a set position for an extended period of time. It's not overexertion. It's it's not not, um, you know, over-exercise, too much weight, anything like that. It's that holding it in a set position. So let's take that idea and transpose it to a dog that has three legs. What do they have to compensate, do to compensate because they have three legs? They have to hold their other limbs in a very set position to try to protect or maintain their balance, I, I would rather say, mm-hmm. um, so they don't fall over, so they can ambulate okay, walk around. And as a result, they get these um, trigger points. And these trigger points can become more painful than the actual surgery. I've had a lot of surgeons send me uh, dogs, and they're three months postoperatively, and the dog is getting no better, and I don't understand. We've taken x-rays. Everything looks great. And this dog can barely walk. And, oh. uh, you know, when I, I love those conversations because I already know the dog's got um, myofascial pain syndrome. And the owners come in uh-huh. and we treat it. And I've had owners break down and cry, you know, when they pick their dog up because the dog's already walking better. Oh. And usually within a few treatments, oh. we have it under control. So, but that's the surgical cases. In the case of mm-hmm. of the three-legged dog, this is going to be an ongoing problem for life and really needs treatment from time to time. The best treatment mm-hmm. for this is something called dry needling, and that's where we take an acupuncture needle. We find the 
the so-called trigger point, and we stick the needle into it, and it re- relieves that cramping feeling in the muscle, and it's an instantaneous feel-better feeling. I think I need to get some of that done. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like it would it would work on that knot on my shoulder. Um, that's so cool. So so dry needle acupuncturing, um, and of course a, a qualified veterinary practitioner has to do it. But that is something yes. that tripod parents should consider from time to time if they see that their dog is in pain. Correct. Correct. Awesome. Okay. You know, a lot of people ask, what what can I expect as my tripod ages? And uh, I I would now tell them, um, set some funds aside so that acupuncture is something you can do on a regular basis because it, it sure sounds like this is really beneficial. Um, Absolutely. We, we do have a question. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from one of our members in the forums. Um, she asks, she says, I have a few questions regarding my quad pod. Seven. So he's got four legs. We do have some members of four-legged dogs. Um, he's a 12-and-a-half-year-old, 100-pound American Pitbull Terrier. She wants to know, how do you know if your dog is experiencing pain or just feeling, quote, old and tired, unquote? Uh, her dog definitely has arthritis and is sometimes just a little bit off. She says he's slower, seems to get tired quicker. Do I assume it's pain if he's eating well and otherwise seems okay? Yes, old dogs don't limp and slow down because they are uh, old. They limp and slow down because they are in pain. Uh, Just like us, maybe we don't do the same things that we always did um, when we were young. I I have um, an almost 12-year-old Portuguese water dog. She's got severe hip dysplasia, and, uh, you know, she doesn't, but she still plays. She, you know, her tug of war mm-hmm. games are are much less enthusiastic than they used to be. But she still wants to do some form of everything she used to do, and I mm-hmm. think that that's really important to keep in mind. They're not limping because they're old. They're limping because they're in pain. They're not slowing down because they're old. They're slowing down because they're in pain. You can always blame it on the pain. And the best way to decide mm-hmm. that also is is treat the pain. And if if the dog gets better, then then you were right. That's so so pain necessarily doesn't always have to come along with getting old. I mean, I mean, if a dog is and, and same for us, right? I mean, if, if age and pain don't necessarily have to, you know, be one and the same. I mean, you can treat the Not pain at all. even if you are old. <laughs> that's correct, good. That's, correct. That's great. Okay. And, and an old um, dog, no, especially, it's. Mm-hmm. In old dogs especially, it's very important to treat the pain just for them to maintain their normal body function. We have clients um, that will sometimes, um, you know, request euthanasia. And when we have a a discussion uh, about it, we find out, you know what, this dog's really painful. And most people are very relieved to find out they can turn the clock back a year or two and get some more time out of their pet. Oh, that's great to hear. That's, That's really important. So so if you think it's time for your dog, just get another opinion from a pain expert. That could be all that's that's needed is some treatment. That's great. Exactly. Let's real quick, we, we have just a few minutes left and I have so many questions. I wish we had an hour long show that so I could ask all of these. But um real quick, when when it comes to 
the long-term physical consequences of, of being a three-legged animal, what can we expect for front-leg amputees versus rear-leg amputees? Are there any major differences in the type of physical maladies that they'll, they'll experience? Do they age faster than the, their four-legged friends? Well, they don't really age faster, but um, anyone who has a front leg amputee has probably seen their dog do that really awkward hopping gait. They they kind of push them, mm-hmm. propel themselves forward with the rear legs, and they land on the, the remaining front leg, and then they, they start all over again, and they're up and down and up and down. Um, and the, the biggest problem that um, I usually see is something called carpal hyperextension, where the wrist um, of the remaining leg um, starts to hyperextend more and more and more as the ligaments break down. So I always mm-hmm. recommend um, for people that have dogs with a front leg amputation that they get a brace to protect the other leg. They're not that expensive. You can, you know, between mm-hmm. casting and and uh, getting them made and getting them fitted, it's about a thousand dollars, and it, that that you'll pay that $1,000 over and over again if you don't get it done. For for rear legs, um, probably the biggest problem is the dog rotates its spine to compensate, um, to try to get that back leg underneath him, and you'll start to get mm-hmm. some changes in the back, um, and that can lead to arthritis of the spine and, you know, really severe myofascial pain syndrome. And there's nothing that you can, there's no brace that really fixes that, unless, of course, you've got a leg that you can put a prosthetic on that that fixes it. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, this is something that as they age, um, you you have to treat um, pretty much constantly. Good to know. I think uh, we will be visiting the acupuncturist with Wyatt very soon. Dr. Petty, thank you so much for being here. I, I hope we can have you on the on the show again sometime soon. Absolutely. We can answer all the rest of those questions. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Petty. We know our listeners will appreciate all this information, and we look forward to reviewing your upcoming book, which anyone can learn more about at Dr. Petty's PainReliefForDogs.com. In the meantime, listeners can join the discussion about caring for amputee pets and maximizing their quality of life in the Tripods blogs and discussion forums at Tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.